listening to the official podcast of The Congregation, a place of discovery with Pastor Tim Story. So stand with me this morning as I read the word of God. And so I'm going to read from Acts 2.42. And this is about the disciples in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, someone say awe, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, someone tell their neighbor, that's us, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. We're going to break bread today. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Just pray with me this morning. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be a Christian. Thank you for the blessing of faith. Thank you for the ability to know you personally, to have access to the throne room, to be able to go from where we are to where you are. Father, as we partner today as the body of Christ, as we read your word, Father, change our hearts, open us, reveal to us the path that we should be on. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet, and let us be citizens of heaven wherever we go. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Give the Lord a clap. You know, so I was thinking about today and what it must have been like to be in Acts, to be a part of this group of original apostles. And whenever I read Acts 2, you kind of get a sense of what it must have been like to get in on the ground floor. Someone say ground floor. And we've all been able to be in on the ground floor of something. I remember when I was in high school uh, and most of my life when I was young, because my father's Swedish, I would spend time every summer in Sweden. Uh, And the thing about Sweden is Sweden is very progressive in music, so they would get a lot of the music before it kind of hit the States. Because as you could imagine, a lot of people are producers in Sweden, and it's cheaper to launch an album in Sweden than it would be in the United States. So I remember all the time I would go on a Sunday, I would go uh, during, um, I'd go to Sweden during the summers and I would hear an artist and I'd be the only one listening to them. And I remember one time Lady Gaga came out and that was right before she was known and all summer I had listened to Lady Gaga's first album and I remember texting all my friends and being like, dude, this is going to be so big and it took eight months till anybody heard of it. Someone say, grab. I remember when I was in second grade and I went to a school called Mission Viejo Christian School. And at the time, uh, the school was building a building. But before we could get in the building, we were in trailers. Have you ever seen those trailers? They're depressing. It was very terrible. 
And I remember we were in trailers, but one day uh, the principal took all the kids and we went to the new site where they were building the new elementary school and we all gathered together in a circle and I remember we prayed over the site, but there was a sense that we were getting in on the ground floor. And it was interesting because that was second grade and by the time I was in fifth grade, they had built the building. And so it was a learning experience for me of what it means to start a journey, but then actually see the manifestation of that journey come to pass. And so you get that sense when you read Acts 2.42 that something so unique is happening in the first disciples' experience and it, they're getting it on the ground floor. And as readers, we get to read that and also experience that ground floor experience, knowing what the disciples would do and how God would use them to grow a global church. I was just reading the other day, Christians are in the billions of people. That's a crazy number. We're in the billions of people. And you read this story and you have 120 leaders, which is nuts. And you go from 120 leaders to billions of people. Someone say ground floor. And what I think is so interesting about this is when they met together, first you could see that there was something that was clicking. There was something that was changing. There was something so special that was happening in this community of men and women in the first century that was going to change everything. And the way that they begin to celebrate that change was through breaking of bread. Breaking of bread and meals are, have a rich tradition within Christianity and Judaism. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is walking around all the time putting on meals. In fact, if you read the Gospels in a row, I encourage you to do that. Just read all of them in a day, just once. You'll notice that Jesus spends like 30% of his time eating. He would travel to a place. They would celebrate the coming of the king and everything God was doing, and then they would have a big meal. So he was always eating, and people were always mad at who he was eating with. Half the fights in the New Testament, in the Gospels, are about the fact that two shady people are eating next to Jesus. And then half the time when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's often talking about the meal as a representation of what God is doing. So people would come up to him and they would say, Jesus, what are you doing? I'm a Jew, I know the Torah, you're a rabbi, we know that you know the scriptures, yet you're kind of reorganizing the furniture here. How, do, how should we think of this? And almost always Jesus uses the analogy or the metaphor of the meal. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a dinner party. God is like a king who throws a dinner party. He will often always talk about this, He'll, or if someone will challenge him on what he should be doing, he will then respond with the same idea. Don't you know that we are all God's children? 
Don't you know that you shouldn't judge this person? Don't you know that? And this concept of a meal always comes back. And I think the reason why it comes back is because it's important to realize that communion is not a meal that we made up. Communion is a meal that God gave us. It's about a seat at his table, not our table. It's about God putting together something different that we don't know. And it's about us participating in that. You know, Jews, of course, knew a lot about the table experience. There was something called Passover that Jews would celebrate every year. And um, Passover comes from the Exodus story. And so the story is that the Jews, Israel, was enslaved by Egypt. And they cried out to God. And God heard their cry. And so God sent a... A prophet named Moses and Moses came and through Moses God was going to free Israel and so what he did was he said on the 10th he, he basically in order to kind of mess with with the Egyptians he sent a bunch of different plagues and then on the last plague he he asked them during the Passover to basically come and do a meal and they would kill a lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it over the doorpost of the house and the reason why they did that was because it represented that they were the people of Israel that they were in covenant with God and so it was a really incredible experience because when the first Israelites did Passover it was a moment where they bonded with God where their future as a nation became caught up with God's future. And so every year after that original Passover, Israel would celebrate Passover, and they would do it in remembrance. But remembrance to them was a little different than the way we think of remembrance. Remembrance to us is, hey, don't you remember that guy? Hey, didn't you remember that one movie Tom Cruise was in? Hey, didn't you remember that game? That was crazy, right? For Israel, remembrance was not about remembering. It was about participating. So for them, when they would celebrate Passover, even if it was a thousand years later, they weren't just doing it in remembrance what they were doing was they were becoming a part of the same people who were at the original one. Does that make sense? So they were participating in it. So if you almost think about it like there was a group of people that God made a covenant with in the Exodus story, which was the first generation of, um, first generation of, of people in Israel, and so every generation pass would do Passover, and they believed that they would share in the same covenant, regardless of if they were in a different generation. So they not only remembered, but it was a participation. It was, we are included in the people that made the reconciliation with God. We are included in the people that made the contract, the original people that made the contract with God. So for instance, we are the people of God just as much as they were the people of God. And so it was about inclusion into a family. 
So Jews knew this idea. So when Jesus comes and with his own announcement, a new announcement, a new story of freedom, a new Exodus story, except this time it wasn't just a nation traveling to a promised land. It was creation being freed and redeemed. And so in order to mark that journey, Jesus then gave us communion, similar to Passover in structure, but specific to Christianity in what we were announcing. And so that's what Jesus did. And so as, as it, it's no wonder that the earliest disciples, in the midst of the announcement story that God raised Jesus from the dead, and now God's plan of redeeming creation, just like God's plan to redeem Israel to a promised land, God was going to take the world, and he was going to recreate it that that announcement came with a celebratory meal. And I love that because the meal became a catalyst for the center of that miracle. And you see it everywhere. You know, it's interesting. Um, I remember the first time I took communion and... Uh, the first time I really took it and understood it, I was in Sweden, and my, I was really young. I was probably maybe nine or ten. I had taken it before, but you know when you're young, you don't really, you know, you're young. See, it's like you just do the thing. But I remember I was nine years old, and we had um, this conference, and it was in Sweden, and it was full of Swedes and Americans and people over Europe. And it was such a cool thing because we had been doing it for a few years. But again, I was kind of young, so I just kind of didn't really understand it. But there came to a place where I realized that, man, how cool is this that all these people from all over the world who really don't have anything in common in terms of their job, in terms of their age, in terms of their race. They're all different ages. They're all different races. They all do different things. But yet, the center of their life and the center of their faith is structured around this participation, this connection, this experience of God with us. This idea that we could go into the presence of God and meet him. And so in communion, we get three things. The first thing we get is that in communion, there's a new family, or what I would call a new people. So we are all members of God's new people. We're the, and when we take communion, we, we not only do it in remembrance in kind of an empty way, but we do it as a part of the growing group of people that were there in Acts 2. We do it as all people who have been touched by God. And God is bringing together in every generation. We also... Are, we also bear a witness for we not for God is not only putting together a new family, but he puts together a new story. It's an amazing thing when you meet somebody and their life is going one way, and then you meet them six years later and their life is going the complete opposite way. 
it's an incredible thing. You see it a lot, particularly with young people, because I'm 30. And so I will meet people that I met at 18 and 20. And sometimes you'll meet a 20-year-old, like, all they did was smoke weed, literally, for like 300 days a year. And then you meet them, and they're making six figures, and they have a great, they're in a great relationship. They have a good relationship with their parents. They look fantastic, right? They're in church. And then you, see, you can see the opposite, too. You can see people who, who had like a good strength, but maybe they couldn't find their way past a few failures, and so you can see that all the time. And what's unique about being a Christian is that we are people who are writing a new story. And God is writing that new story in us. And that's why I tell people a lot that the strongest thing you have in life is your witness. Because when people are going through something tough, the last thing they want to hear is a theory of sanctification or righteousness or redemption. Granted, those concepts are important, but what people want to know is how God changed your life and how that changing changed the trajectory of your life and how, because of that, that might be possible for you. And then they ask you, how'd you do it? And you start with saying, you have to be willing and open to come to God. And it's that experience of that new family, that new people God is putting together, that new story that we are all witnesses to, and also, I think, that new life. I talked about this last week, is being a Christian is kind of like knowing the end of the story, knowing the end of the movie before you watch it all. And what I meant by that was that when you know Jesus and you begin to be transformed by the resurrection, what, ends, what is happening is that we know what the future is. We know God's aim, which is redemption. And we know the mechanism in which he is going to accomplish that aim, which is through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we know that God accomplishes the aim through the resurrection of Jesus. So now it's the part of the process where we're kind of in this already not yet space where we're still dealing with the reality and the woes of regular life, yet that future redemption is breaking into our lives in all kinds of ways and healing us and transforming us and redeeming us and restoring us. I once heard, and I'll close with this, there's a really great writer that I love who's, who's an Anglican, um, Anglican priest, and, and he says, being a Christian is like being awake at, at dawn. And I love this because he says, it's like being awake. Everyone is still sleeping, but there are some people who are up, and they can see the light coming over the dawn, and they are so aware that the day is going to break, but yet other people don't know yet. But as Christians, that doesn't matter because we know the reality of what's to come. And that light is already breaking into our lives. And when we take communion, we not only celebrate that announcement, but what we are also doing is we are participating in it. Give the Lord a clap. <laughs> Pastor Page. I love the experiences. When I became a Christian, 
I wanted to know God, but I wanted to feel God. I wanted to hear him. I remember going to my first Sunday school class when I was 28 years old, after coming out of a modeling career, and I raised up my hand and I said, where's the stuff? And they said, what stuff? And I said, the stuff I read in the Bible. Where's the stuff? Because God had me always reading the red, what Jesus did. And I said, where's the stuff? Where is the evidence that this kingdom is here? Where is the evidence that God is alive? Where is the evidence that there is healing that God, that Jesus talks about? He says, you said he's my savior, he's my power, he's my healer. So what has he done lately? And I'll never forget, there was an elder in the church and she said, well, about five years ago, we laid hands on Sister Martha and she got healed. I said, great, praise God. What has he done lately? And coming out of a secular world and coming into the church, wondering, just like you, does God hear me? How can I experience this love? How do I experience this power? How do I really experience the prosperity that I read in God's word? Well, in communion, a seat at the table is reserved for you. So in Psalms 23, 5, it says to God, God says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You prepare a table in the presence of cancer. You prepare a table in the presence of divorce. You prepare a table in the presence of betrayal. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. This table he prepared is the Lord's table. It's called Holy Communion. Someone say Holy Communion. And everything that is in Holy Communion is contained in Psalms 23. So when you look at this, I, I, I just said I want to have a prop today. There's the bread and the wine. And I, I ha, I, if you look at this, we approach this table of communion. Jesus says, I've, I prepared a table for you. And I really think it's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying and what are the benefits and what, how we can experience the communion, the bread, and the wine. So at this table that the Lord has prepared, he says there's healing. How many of you need healing today? He says at this table there is forgiveness of our sin. At this table there is signs, wonders, and the working of miracles. There is my supernatural coming upon your natural. There is my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Come unto me and I will show you and teach you. I will show you that I am a good God. Someone say good God. So he wants us to experience him. He wants us to know who he is, know his presence. At this table, there is a place for you. He says anyone can come call out my name, and I will answer them. So no longer do we need to be on the outside, but Jesus says, I want you to be front and center before me at the communion table. 
Someone say, there's a place for me. I remember that I was uh, going in my 50s, and um, I wanted to look young, as young as possible, right, ladies? You, don't, you want to age gracefully. So my girlfriend said, uh, you should go to Jose Bears in Beverly Hills. I said, I'm not going to drive all the way to Los Angeles to get my hair done. And they go, oh, they'll do these treatments. It's great. You'll you know, be able to wear long hair. And in your 60s, I'm saying, okay, so it worked. So I'm in my 60s, and I got long hair. But I went there, and I remember I was with one of the top stylists there, Gary. And, um, and he was a great guy. And, and so he began to share his story. And uh, he lived a gay lifestyle. And he loved to party. And he, lo you know, he bragged about his drugs. He bragged about his alcohol. And um, so I went there time after time after time. He was a great stylist. And so I remember he just said, what do you do? And I'm, I'm an interior designer. Uh, but also I was doing a lot of traveling with Tim, and I was doing um, a lot of third world countries at the time. So I started to share with him a little bit about what I do. Well, what I do is I started to talk about, he goes, well, what do you talk about when you go to all these conferences? I said, I talk about the presence of God. Oh. I thought, okay, he's going to mess up my hair. <laughs> but what I said to him, it pierced his heart. And he began to ask me questions, and he says, you know, I've been raised Catholic. He was from France, actually. Got his papers, a visa, and came and worked for Jose Hubert. And uh, so he says, my whole family's there. I came down here. He began to tell me his story and his travels, and he said, um, I was raised Catholic. He says, I was a good Catholic boy. And he said, uh, actually, I wanted to be a priest at some point. But he says, you know, that went out the window. And he said, and I kind of been excommunicated from my church because of my lifestyle. I said, okay. I said, but there's a place for you, Gary, at the table. There's a place for you because there's mercy and there's grace. And I began to share about the love of God and how God loved me in the midst of my uh, toxic life, in the midst of my confusion, and in the midst of, 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 of my darkness. And I began to share my story, and he began to share his story. And then one day he was cutting my hair, and he broke down, and he said, I got to tell you this story. I've never told anyone this, but I think you'll be able to relate to this. He said, you know, my father... Uh, became very ill, and I was very close to my father. My family's in France. And he said, so when I went there, he said, I wanted to go there because he was literally dying. They said he only had a few weeks to live. And I could not leave the country because I would lose my benefits and lose my visa, my right to work. He said, so I was on the phone with my dad, and he was on his last breath, and he was talking, I love you. I love you, and I know that you wish you were here. And he says, Paige, I just broke down. I, I couldn't handle it. I had to say goodbye over the phone to say goodbye to my dad as he was passing away. And um, his dad told him, he says, Gary, pray for me. And he said, so I hung up the phone. I was so broken. He said, I ran to the nearest Catholic church by my house. And he said, and I reached out, and I cried out to God, and he said, God, he says, I pray for my dad, I pray for my family, and I pray for myself. He said, he said, and I don't know, Paige, he said, maybe you can relate to this. He said, but I felt the presence of Jesus. 
And he started crying and telling me this story while he was cutting my hair. And I said, Lord, I know I'm going to sacrifice everything, but one side of my head was shorter than the other. But I said, it's okay, because he's telling the story. He's pouring out his heart. And there has a sacrifice sometimes, right? I still paid him. And as he was crying and he was cutting my hair, and he was telling me, maybe you can answer this question. Why did God show up over my life when I have done nothing to deserve it? He knows what I do. He knows who I am. He knows that my heart has been bitter against the church, and yet he showed up. How could that happen, Paige? And I began to explain to him about the mercy and the love of God. And I began to share with him, and about, it took a year, and I led him into Christ. I led him, I said, open your heart to Christ. It has nothing to do with the church, Gary. You see, there's room at the table for you. Jesus made a way where there is no way. He said, I'll forgive those that have been broken. I will be the good shepherd. And in Psalms 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. See, Gary, was, he wanted. He wanted to know God, but, but the church denied his rights. I'll never forget years ago when I received my calling. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And it was like he said, do you love me, Paige? Yes, then go feed my sheep. Do you love me? Just like he told Peter, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Do you love me? I can't feed your sheep, God, because I'm not educated. I don't like reading. I, I was in a low reading class. I, I, you know, I've got all these limitations. I said, what do you want me to do? And every time God said, do you love me? I said, yes, I love you, Jesus. He said, then go to the nations and speak my word and bring my people into my presence. And I said, but surely they know how to come into your presence. He says, no, they're actually afraid of my presence. They're afraid of my power. They're afraid of my kingdom. They just want me in a box. They just want me. They want to wrap me really nice. They want to do church and leave. And he says, I want to give more of myself. I want them to come into my presence. I want them to know who I am. I want them to know who they are in me. Will you go? 38 years later, I have gone. And I have seen. But listen, I have seen. I have seen with my own eyes. I have seen the brokenness. I have seen the people that are, the guys that are just so, you know, just caught up in porn. I've seen so many people that have been caught up in heroin. I've seen so many people that were dying of AIDS in Africa. I have seen, but I have seen when we, we welcome them into the presence of God. And we say, come into the presence. Put everything down. Come just as you are. Come to the bread of life. And Jesus shed his blood for us. Come to the communion table, and God will deliver us. See, this is a table of deliverance. It's a Passover. He delivered them out of Egypt. He delivered us at the cross. Jesus delivered us at the cross. Amen? So when we come to the table, it's a table of deliverance. But he said, I will anoint your head with oil.
wow. When I, one day I said, no, God, I can't go. No, I can't do. And he goes, but I will anoint your head with oil. I go, what does that mean? He said, my supernatural will come upon your natural. I will give you an ability to read. I will give you ability to speak. I will give you an ability to see the darkness that people live in. And I will give you the ability to have the mercy. I will anoint your head with oil so that you can see, you'll hear, you'll touch, you'll feel. You'll see people the way I see people. I used to pray all the time. Tim and I used to pray all the time. And Tim would pray crazy prayers sometimes when he was young. He would say, God, if you don't use me, kill me now. I'd go, Tim, don't pray that kind of prayer. He goes, it's true, Paige, it's true. I said, don't pray because you will die. Because God can't possibly use you because you're crazy. But we used to pray these prayers. And I remember I used to pray to God and I'd say, God, I'd say, if I, if I come into your presence, is the enemy going to attack me more? It's a good question. Because I don't want the devil on my back. And then as I read the scriptures, he said, I will anoint your head with oil. He said, there is no darkness in me, and there is no darkness that can touch you. When you're in my light, you, when you're with me, he said, you are off the devil's radar. I will anoint your head with oil. It, is, it signifies healing. I will anoint your head with oil when you come to communion this morning. I will heal you. It's a prophetic. I feel it prophetically. God says, Jesus says today, I will heal you. Those of you have faith, those of you will come unto me. I will heal you as you take communion today. He said, I will anoint your head with oil. I will anoint your calling. I will anoint your purpose. I will anoint the desires of your heart. Come unto me. Come to the communion table and receive the benefits of the anointing. He said, my cup runneth over. The wine signifies restoration, the forgiveness of sins. He said, I will restore your soul. I will restore, Tina, your relationships. She's an expert at this. She knows, she's seen, she's ministered to people. I'll restore your marriages. I'll restore your finances. I'll restore your happiness. I will take away the shame and the guilt in your life as you come into the table. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, God promises. Someone say amen. So at this table, there is goodness. At this table, there is mercy. Gary found mercy in the presence of God. How could God that is so holy come to me and come upon me? Because there is mercy, there is grace, because the blood of Jesus was shed, and we can all enter into it. And I close with this. The point is this, that all of God's benefits, all of his blessing is activated in you as you take communion. Someone say activate. It's a big word, but it's, it's a promise. He's going to activate 
you. He's going to activate healing. He's going to activate a long life. Will you bless me? Prosperity will come to me. You will, I will be fruitful because of you. You will protect me. Under your wings, I will find protection. You will give me freedom from sin and from death. No death can hold you down. There's people that I've been that I have buried, done funerals, and they, they just passed from one place to eternity, and death had no sting on their life. They just passed through. He says, I will be your good shepherd. And that's something to shout about. Thanks for listening to the Congregation Podcast. For more information about the congregation, including gathering times, locations, and how you can give and support the community, check us out online at www.congregationchurch.com. Thank you.